And in our text, in our study of Ephesians, we're here today in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul says this, take the helmet of salvation. Let's read our text and then we'll jump in to the helmet of salvation. Finally, verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Take the helmet of salvation. Now you remember in our context where we're at, that we're blessed in Christ. We're in a position where Paul tells us we are in Christ. We belong to him. And right before Paul tells the church to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which, he is, to which we have been called in chapter 4 verse 1, he says this in chapter 3 verse 20. Let's turn back there for a second. I want you to remember what we're talking about when we say take up the armor. This is the resources that God has given us. This is putting on Christ. And it says this in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more weekly, tiny, small, no. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, we're in a battle. And putting on the armor is putting on Christ. It's standing firm in the reality that we are strong, not in ourselves, but we are strong in the Lord. And we stand in the strength of his might. We do not stand on our own strength. And again, we need to remember that Paul does not say, go win the battle. He says, stand firm in the battle. Be strong in the Lord, in his strength. <clears throat> Put on the full armor of God so that, and here's the purpose of the armor, that we would be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You see, we are strong in Christ and we are following our victor. And we know the battle is won. But we also know this. The battle is hard. The battle is difficult. The battle with our enemy and the battle that we have with temptation to sin is a very real 
and moment by moment battle that we are in. So we do not get lazy in the battle, we stand firm. And I even say this, if we say that there is no battle or, battle or that we've already won this battle, if someone says that they do not sin or struggle with sin, they're not in the battle. They're deceiving themselves. And so now today, we're going to look at the helmet of salvation. Now, as I was looking at this, I had a question, and it was this. Now, because I don't expect you guys to know what goes through my head. So I won't ask you to, hey, guess what my question was. I won't do that to you. I'll just tell you. Why didn't the helmet of salvation come first on the list? You ever think about that? I know my mind works different. I get it. But why didn't Paul say this? Get saved. Get your salvation. You see, the helmet of salvation is our fifth piece of armor. If Paul was talking about getting saved, I'm confident that this is probably how it would have started. Put on the belt of salvation. And he doesn't say that. He says, put on the belt of truth. But you see, Paul is talking in a context, and that's why we went back to chapter 3, of what our present reality is. We are in Christ. We're in the battle. We are already saved. We saw salvation, grace, and mercy in chapter 2. Remember? When we were dead in our sins, we have now been made alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved. We saw salvation as 100% a gift from God and not of works. We wouldn't be in the battle if we weren't saved. This is speaking to the believer. We wouldn't be fighting the devil. We'd be following the devil. That's a scary thought. Remember in chapter 2? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's where we were. Apart from Christ, we were children of wrath, it goes on to say. So we wouldn't be in this battle if we were not saved. Apart from salvation, who would we be fighting? We would be fighting God. We'd be at war with God without Christ. And I want to stop right here and, re, and, and challenge you. Friend, if you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are fighting a battle that you will lose. You will not win. And if you're sitting here today disagreeing with God, and you're fighting God, and you're rejecting the word of God, you're on the wrong side. You are on the losing side. And you may try to push it down and say, no, this doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I want. That's foolishness. You will not win the battle when you fight against God. But guess what? I have great news. I have the best news I could ever give anybody. God loves his enemies and he saves them. He's rich in mercy. God loves to change the hearts of people. He changes the hearts and minds of his enemies. And he calls you to have an agreement. He calls you to repent. Repent is a changing of mind. Where you change your mind about your sin. And you agree with God about your sin. And you confess them. And you place your faith in the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ. 
So yes, if you're fighting God, stop. Join the family. You're no longer an enemy. It says this, he adopts you. And he places you as his son. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. And then you have an inheritance with Christ. That's what we've been studying in Ephesians. And I pray if you've been sitting here week after week and seeing and hearing from this book, not even my words, but just the scriptures alone, they show you our God saves. He brings salvation. So please, place your faith in Jesus Christ. So now we see the, after the belt of truth and after the breastplate of righteousness, after the shoes of the gospel of peace, and after the shield of faith, we are told this, to take the helmet of salvation. So if the helmet of salvation is not talking about getting saved, what is it? Well, I like this. I think a great way to expand, and by the way, like the next, next week, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Paul gives us a little extra to jump into. Here Paul just says, take the helmet of salvation. So I mean, I guess I suppose I could go today and just say, Hey, everybody, uh, take the helmet of salvation. Let's pray. But there's more to it. There's more to it. And I like what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you turn there. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I want to read this passage. I want you to follow along. It's talking about the day of the Lord, Jesus' return. People will worry that people who died will miss Christ's return. And Paul says, no, they'll be raised too. And then chapter 5, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You're at war with God. Jesus is coming again. Today is the day of salvation. He'll come quickly. It'll be a surprise. While people are saying, there's peace, there's security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. You see where we are? We're not in darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. I love the pictures that Paul always says. We're not in darkness. We're not asleep. We're awake. We're ready for action in our mind. We're sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, since we're saved, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, look at this, Paul adds something, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, so whether we live or die, we might live with him. Therefore, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Did you see the, what we just read? As a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. Now understand this. 
When the scriptures speak of the hope of salvation, this isn't somebody saying, well, I hope I'm saved. You're, you, know, you guys know what that's like, right? I, my kids come home. How'd you do on the test? I don't know. Well, how do you hope you did? Well, I hope I did okay. Well, how do you think you did? I don't know. You see, we all have hopes like that, right? The uncertain hope. That's not what Paul is talking about. This is the hope that we're certain in. This is the hope that brings joy and it brings confidence. It's a confident hope. This is talking about the greatness and the assurance of our salvation. Salvation brings hope, doesn't it? Do you have hope in Christ? Do you have hope in your salvation? It's a confident hope. As I was thinking about this, and as it, as it was stated, this hope of salvation, this helmet of salvation, I see hope protecting our minds and protecting our heads. Now, let me ask you, have you ever seen a sports team that was physically stronger, maybe even more highly skilled, stronger than their opponent, lose a game or a match because the opponent got in their heads. You ever seen that in a match? It happens in tennis. It happens in basketball. That's what I was going to tell you in my senior year. Yeah, sorry. It, by the way, when I say like, it's not glory days. It's, it's just me telling illustrations. But in my senior year, we were able to get a game at the Oakland Coliseum Arena. We opened up for the Warriors. We were playing a team that we should have easily beat. We were stronger, taller, faster, better looking. <laughs> but you know what happened? We stepped in that arena and it messed with our heads. The greatness of it. The, when we stepped on the floor, I know I'm aging myself, and I'm like, this is where Chris Mullen plays. This is Mitch Richmond's court. This is Sharunas Marcelona's court. And we're all trying to dunk in warm-ups, all trying to hit massive three-pointers from the NBA line, and we, we lost focus. And you know what happened? We lost. We lost pretty handily. The other team made the baskets. We didn't. Because our heads were not where they were supposed to be. You see, the Romans were wearing a helmet to protect against swords that would split their head open, that would crush them. It would crush their skull. Satan, our enemy, has a sword also. He has weapons. And Satan wants to get at our heads. He wants us ineffective. So the helmet of salvation, or the hope of salvation, this helmet, it protects us. You see, salvation is an ongoing reality for a believer. Did you know Satan, uh, Satan, did you know salvation, all these words. Did you know salvation has, for us, has a past and a present and a future reality? The past is this, at a point in time, salvation came to you. If you're saved, at a point in time, you can say, I've been saved. We know when it happened. You know, one of the blessings that we have as a church, which I love, is Baptism Sunday. Why? We get to hear these testimonies. We hear the history of grace in our friends and our family's lives. In the family of God, we hear, this is where I was, and then I was saved. 
And we hear these wonderful testimonies. I love that. I love the story of grace that just is entwined in our congregation. That's what the gospel does. I love hearing stories of grace. I love seeing how it's evident in our lives. Darren, if you ever let a Labor Day weekend go by and you don't share the story of your two dads, I'm going to have righteous anger. Because I love it. I cry every Labor Day. Because he tells the story of God saving his father. And now there's a godly heritage in a family. This is what grace does. This is the hope of salvation. Where we share, look what God has done. And all of us who are saved at some point can say, I have been crucified, past tense, with Christ. I died. I no longer live, but now, present reality, Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So salvation has a past reality. We tell others, this is where I was saved. I once was dead, now I'm alive. I once was lost, now I'm found. We talk about amazing grace. Look what God has done. But there's also a present reality. And I just said that. The life that I now live, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We now live victorious in our present salvation. It's our salvation in Christ that now frees us from the power of sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. Sin no longer reigns over us. And I love this verse in Galatians. For freedom, Christ died. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do, some, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I love the book of Galatians. You see, apart from salvation, and when someone is under law, the law does this. It reveals your sinfulness. Did you know that's the purpose of the law? The law is there to show you you will not keep the law. It shows you your wickedness. It shows you your sinfulness. The law proves one thing and one thing only. You can't keep it. You can't do it. You're guilty and you're enslaved to sin. You're enslaved to lawlessness. But now in Christ, we today have freedom. And by the way, don't ever, ever say that this freedom is freedom to sin. In fact, it's the opposite of that. Of that. Now in Christ, our freedom is for the first time the freedom to do right. It's the freedom to obey. It's a freedom to finally keep God's commandments because it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. See, our power now comes through Christ. Apart from Christ, we're lawbreakers. In Christ, we're law keepers, and his commandments are no longer a burden. 1 John chapter 5. This is an awesome freedom. It's not freedom to sin. Don't abuse the grace of God. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. Should we just keep on sinning? May it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So this freedom is freedom to do right by the grace of God. We're now free to walk by the Spirit and not carry out the desires of the flesh. 
It's freedom to love one another. Galatians 5, verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to sin, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So understand that salvation frees us from the power of sin today, right now. And when we sin in this battle, remember this, because will we, will we struggle? Will we fall? Yes, I bet we already have today in word, deed, or, or thoughts. Because we're in a battle. But when it rages, we have a Savior who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, First John, and to what? To cleanse us. And the word there is continually cleansing from all sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus Christ, he's our Savior He's our salvation. He's our hope. And so this hope, our hope is Jesus who provides us with the helmet of salvation. And in Christ, we're protected from doubts. Do you see what God has done for us? If you know you're saved, which by the way, I can never like say, you couldn't come up to me after the service and say, Ron, can you tell me if I'm saved or not? I'll ask you this, how do you know you're saved? And I'll point you to the gospel, but I am not someone who, I now pronounce you saved. Can't do that. See, the assurance of your salvation comes from the Holy Spirit who's within you. If you have the Spirit, you have salvation. And he reveals Christ. So only you, at the end of the day, when you put your head on the pillow... You know if you're saved or not. If you have doubts, run to the scriptures. But if you could say, no, I know I'm saved, do not doubt what Christ has done for you. Because the enemy wants you defeated and doubting. He wants you discouraged. If you know you're saved, if you know you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, do not let the enemy cast doubts upon the faithfulness of our God. That's the helmet of salvation. It brings hope. It gives us assurance. Romans 8, a few weeks ago, we quoted this. Who will bring a charge against God's people? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one. It won't happen. We don't have time today to go into a whole sermon on the assurance of salvation. But believe me. If you've been listening, I already said this before, but if you've been listening over these past year and a half, just to the reading of the scripture in Ephesians, none of my extra. If you just said, I'm gonna read, Ron reads the passage at the beginning of the sermon, that's, I'm checking out after that. The guy, his jokes aren't funny and I don't like him. And so you don't listen to me, but you listen just to the word of God. You cannot leave the book of Ephesians and say, I think salvation comes and goes. You can't. It's not biblical. We have assurance in Christ. 
You can't read Ephesians 1 through 3 and think salvation comes. It goes, you have it, you lose it. You have it, you lose it. I have it, I sinned, I'm not saved anymore. That is not what Christ has done. That's not what God has done. God's word tells us this. Our God saves, and he saves securely, and he saves firmly. John 15, don't quote me. No one will snatch out of my hand. And so when we use these things, we don't glory in our theology that we see here. Our glory is not in this, just these doctrines that we've been teaching. We don't have pride, I hope, in the doctrines of grace. We don't arrogantly throw around words like predestination. We don't arrogantly throw around words like election or elect or adoption as sons. We don't arrogantly talk about being dead in sins and then being made alive in Christ. We don't arrogantly say we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's not arrogance, it's worship and it's security. We worship Jesus because of these doctrines. You see, these things revealed in God's word, that's what cements our hope in the God of our salvation. He saved us, he will keep us, none will snatch us from his hand. When we see words like we've seen, that we've been made alive, it says this, I belong to Jesus, he belongs to me, I have Christ. I'm saved yesterday, I'm saved today, and forever. Not by anything I've done, and I mean nothing. We bring nothing to salvation. Does a dead man bring anything to the after social, the wake, or whatever you want to call it? Do they bring the ham? <laughs> Do they bring a testimony? When someone passes away, no, why? The dead person's dead. By the way, I'm not making light of that. It's a sad thing when that happens. But we don't grieve as those without hope. That's where we were earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But dead's dead. So we bring nothing to the table. So what does this mean? It means Jesus Christ. And we saw this to the praise of his glorious grace. Jesus Christ gets all the praise and honor. He is worshiped for what he has done. Christians don't boast about ourselves. We don't boast about our theology. We don't boast about our works. We worship in absolute amazement at the glorious grace of God through Jesus Christ. Our boast is in Christ alone. Only in him. Salvation as a past reality, we were saved. At a point in time, we repented of our sins and we ran to the cross. We were made alive in Christ. A present reality, God is with us. We have victory and it has a future reality. And I love that we sang it. Jesus is coming soon. There's a present reality. Reality and a future reality. Romans 8, 28. You know, I'm, I'm realizing this is for free. I was thinking about th this morning. Do you know, like, if you just go to scriptures, I mean, like, here we are in Ephesians, but then we went to 1 Thessalonians to expand on the helmet of salvation. And I think we've been to Romans 8 so many times. Do you know, if, if, if you just, like, say, Ron, I have a hard time studying scriptures, here's a little hint. 
Go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Go to the book of Ephesians. Go to Romans 8, 6, 7, and 8. And it kind of sums it all up. And everything else, it just builds on. The scriptures are awesome. Anyways, just thought I'd share that. But Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. You see this chain of salvation? Called, justified, glorified, declared righteous, and then one day, sin will be no more. Do you see the hope of salvation? Do you see why it's a helmet for our heads? We belong to Jesus. We've been called. We've been justified. We'll be glorified. What hope we have. Romans 8. I have to turn there. Yeah, we got a little time. But boy... Am I alone that life is hard? I don't think so. We're in a battle. But look what Paul says about our future. Look what's coming. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation or for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who, subject, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Did you see the words of hope there? We groan right now, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. You know, our adoption is the same as our salvation. There's a present, a past reality. We've been adopted, Ephesians chapter 1. 
Present reality, we are his children. Future reality, it'll be made complete in heaven when we see our Father. And one day the battle will be over. Either when we die or by the glorious return of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our hope, what we hope for, will be reality. Sin will be no more. Death will be done. We will lay our armor down. The war will be over. We'll have a full and glorious final redemption of our bodies. My back won't hurt. My knees won't hurt. I won't lose my voice singing and proclaiming the glories of God. Our salvation will one day be made complete. And this is amazing. This is where faith ends. Uh, It is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Our faith will be made complete. This is where hope ends. We'll see Jesus. What more is there to hope for? He's everything. That's what 1 Corinthians says. These things will pass away. But what remains? Love. Love remains. Because God is love. Jesus is coming. We have awesomeness awaiting us. Turn to Revelation 21, and I I do want, well, you don't have to if you promise to listen. And hopefully I'll make it without cracking. This is, uh, there's some verses here that tend to bring tears of joy, tears of hope. Because this is true. This is what's coming. I want to close by reading this passage. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, 
the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Two realities. You're saved. You have a glorious reality of your salvation being complete. You do not have Christ. You have a horrific reality. And as it said, these words are trustworthy and true. It's not Ron saying there's heaven or hell. It is God saying there's heaven or there's hell. Turn to Jesus. If you've turned to Jesus, put on the helmet of hope of our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, throughout this whole study, thank you for what your word reveals to us about your mercy, about your grace, about what you have done for us. You have rescued us. You indeed have transferred us from the domain of darkness and placed us into your kingdom. You have indeed, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive because you are rich in mercy and love. Father, thank you for your grace that saves us. Father, may we close now in worshiping you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the hope that you have given us. In Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.